podcast has bad words. <laughs> this is the Minimalist Private Podcast Maximal episode. We're here with Leo Babauta. Yes. So this is for Patreon. You you have a Patreon. I do. Yeah, it's not very active right now. Okay. Yeah, I I, I was using it for an experiment. And, okay. Uh, what kind of experiment? Uh, well, that's when I launched my fearless training program. So I, yeah. I, I had this idea of like training people in uncertainty. Uh-huh. And I'm like, uh, I really want to do this, but I don't know what it's going to look like. So I'm like, why don't I just throw something onto Patreon, uh-huh. invite people in at, at different levels and see what that's like. And so it was just a kind of playground for me. Mm-hmm. And so I actually did that for about a year uh-huh. and ran a whole membership program through Patreon like oh, that. Wow. And then I decided it was too limited in what I what I could offer, uh-huh. and so I just moved it all to WordPress with uh-huh. um, some different plugins. But um, Patreon's still there, and there are still people who support me there. But it's not something that I'm actively like putting content on. Okay, mm. yeah. let's talk a bit about uncertainty training because uh, this this concept, especially we're recording this. We're actually recording this. This is a, a little sneak peek. Uh, we're recording this before the election, in the middle of what is still a lockdown in Los Angeles County. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> in the middle of some really uncertain times. So by the time <laughs> right. this comes out, a few weeks into January, everything has been fixed. COVID yep. is gone. Right. And uh, there's may or may not be a new president <laughs> spoiler alert don't tell uh, us <laughs> <laughs> so um let's uh let's talk about it but here's the thing it feels like uncertain times right now it really is but doesn't it almost always feel like it to it, it doesn't require always these external circumstances because a lot of the uncertainty is up here and, and here absolutely right yeah. let's talk about that yeah so right now this is the most uh, uncertainty that most people have ever felt. Obviously, right. there are people who have been in worse times. Like if you're in the middle of a war zone in Syria or something like that, that's like crazy, right? Yeah. But right now, for most of us, mm-hmm. this is the most uncertainty we've ever faced. Yeah. Um, you know, like there's political turmoil. There's the pandemic, obviously. There's like, ah, oh, those people aren't wearing masks or those people keep telling me to wear masks, you know, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Right. There's mm-hmm. like um, protests and, and uh, racial strife right now. Um, and there's just much more than that, but it's just a crazy time to be alive. And so everyone is feeling that uncertainty as anxiety or as frustration or mm. anger. Um, and so that all is really present for a lot of people and people are running to comforts, you know, like Netflix's like numbers are going through the roof mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, and and so people are running to their usual comforts, but in greater amounts than ever before. So people are finding themselves like procrastinating more and all of these kinds of like like comfort foods, you know, mm-hmm. buying yeah. a bunch of stuff. Actually, Amazon's doing really well right now because oh, yeah. our usual for a lot of us, our usual thing is let, let me go and buy some things and feel some comfort and security mm-hmm. in that. And we're and developing I, new habits around that bad mm-hmm. habits around online consumption. Yeah. Right. Well, though, so my the point i was going to get to is actually that's always there all the like you mentioned uncertainty is always there it's just right now it's really up in your face yeah you know what i mean so you Uh can't ignore it and so the things that we normally reach to like buying or watching or eating or whatever it is Mm -hmm. are heightened so like if you're like oh we're forming these bad habits those bad habits were probably there last year or the year before Mm. but it's just now they're like really solidifying because I don't have any, I don't, my usual ways of calming myself down aren't working because you can't get out of uncertainty. Like you can't minimalize yourself out of uncertainty or, yeah. you know, any of that kind of stuff. Our, our ways of like controlling things, 
the world is out of control. So if your usual thing is to try and control things, you're you're out of luck, right? Yeah. And that's most of us actually. Most of us try and control things, yeah. and we're feeling uncertainty. Yeah, and, and and by the way, it's it's clinging tighter right. when the solution is loosening your grip before you let go. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, it, it, it's counterintuitive because. We we often you know one of my favorite quotes that I'll, I often talk about is from David Foster Wallace. It's uh, in his book Infinite Jest. He said, "Everything I've ever let go of has claw marks on it." <laughs> and of course, that's that. not letting go at all, right? <laughs> it, it's it's being thrown from the thing, right? And right. And, and so um, sometimes that happens to us. We're forced to let go, but that's not an actual deliberate letting go. Yeah. And it's far less rewarding in a way. Uh, letting go is is rewarding when. When we've made that an intentional decision, not when you choose to let go, right? Right. Yeah. Ryan and I grew up really poor in mm. Dayton, Ohio, food stamps, government assistance, and people were like, you know, oh, you grew up minimalist. No, we didn't. No. Not even no. close. No. We we minimalism is about the intentional use of the resources that we have, and we weren't deliberate with the few resources we had at all. We would have really benefited from mm. minimalism. Sure. When we were growing up, being mm-hmm. more intentional with limited resources is really helpful. But when it gets back to this uncertainty thing, right. it, uh, certainty is a is a almost a misnomer in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Because we can never be fully certain. It's like I hear this term job security. Right. <laughs> no, 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 that doesn't actually exist, right? Yeah. Um, we it, it it sounds nice. But but uh, it's almost like saying job certainty. Right. There is yeah. no hundred percent certainty. M- most of us want certainty. Like yeah. we, we our minds like try and cling to something solid. So right. we want like a routine. You know, all of us do that, right? Like I want a routine. I have a productivity system. I have I'm minimalizing my space. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. Like routines and and habits and minimalizing are all great. But it's because our minds are trying to find some kind of certainty in the middle of uncertainty. Yeah. And so like when it, when uncertainty is really like shoving itself in your face, you're like scrambling for control and for certainty, which is not possible as you're saying, right? Mm-hmm. That's what you're pointing to. It's like you can try to get certainty and you're not. Even if you get like all the routines in the world and all the minimalism in the, in the world, you haven't gotten rid of the uncertainty and you still have to loosen up and let go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so what's fascinating about that is we all want certainty, but then we also all want surprises and variety. Sure. Yeah. And, and so it's like, well, wait a minute. Like, in fact, you when you ask, like, do you like surprises? Most people are like, yeah, it's like, well, no, you like the good surprises, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> oh, I, yeah, that, right. that's a surprise. That's a surprise. <laughs> but it's like, oh, there's a there's a thousand dollars in my bank account that I didn't have yesterday. Mm-hmm. That's a I love surprises. Right. Yeah. But if it's uh, you're fired, no, I hate surprises. Right. Uh, 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 we we want the right kind of certainty and the right <laughs> kind of uncertainty. Um. And, but we, and and I, I find that there is a a certain. It's what I really like about Ryan. He's very durable, mm. and I don't just mean like physically, but like <laughs> like he he is he has a durability in in his life where if something something that I think would affect me radically, it's like it's you know the the, the term water off the duck's back or whatever. Mm. But like it it feels that way with with Ryan, and and I think part of that is because he has a healthy relationship with uncertainty. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think growing up like calloused me to really bad surprises because like i mean it was i mean i could just sit here and list all the crazy well this is the patreon episode i might as well list a couple so like 
uh, so, you know, SWAT team kicks in our door when I'm wow. in the eighth grade to bust my mom for selling drugs. Wow. Um, the uh, I'd, I'd be at Christmas having a good time with like my dad's family, and then um, I'd get a phone call that's like, "Oh, by the way, uh, your mom got a DUI, and your your stepdad is in jail for uh, for physical assault." And I mean, just like there was always these right. interruptions in life, and uh, in a way, it actually helped me. You know, so when I when I compare the surprises today to the surprises of my childhood like oh, they're sure. not nearly as bad <laughs> as what they were back then but hearing you guys talk about this really helped me see how minimalism in general has has helped me even more with uncertainty right because when you have that power to let go of anything it's um it's okay if you know well actually it, i was going to say it's okay if you don't get what you expected but even better it helps you limit your expectations hmm. so with uh with the whole pandemic for example um and josh and i've talked about this before and i don't know have you heard anyone say to you like oh i bet you regret that minimalist thing now that you're you're in a <laughs> pandemic has anyone like made that comment no. to you at all so i mean we've had it quite a few we, times, yeah, yeah we've had quite a few i mean there was even an article in the really? atlantic minimalism is dead and, and it was all about how the pandemic has killed minimalism interesting and yeah it's interesting because i look at my life and i'm like i actually you know, flying through this pandemic because I have spent so much time curating a life that I really enjoy and having the things that I need, not getting rid of everything, but just curating the things that I need for me and my wife. And I really feel like um, it has helped me do better through this pandemic because the alternative is, well, you know, my my, uh, past life, the alternative would be have a job that was it was a retail job a job that i needed to pay a bunch of bills to pay a bunch of debt and then live with the uncertainty of oh no like it's a real retail store i know that they would have closed a retail store so now i'm at home like do i collect unemployment is unemployment gonna pay my debt right um but now not having debt it's uh i'm not worrying about those 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 problems not that you know i want to respect people's struggles because there are people right now listening to this who are uncertain about whether or not they're going to be able to pay their bills, when, when they're going to be able to go back to work. And I don't want to undermine that. But minimalism, you know, kind of helped me prepare for this moment in time. Mm-hmm. What I mean, do you feel the same way? Yeah, well, I think what you're speaking to is like having not only very little, but also very little debt and yeah. like more of like flexibility. Zero debt, um, by the way. Yeah, yeah. great. We're, right. we're very, we're very, we're very <laughs> anti-debt. I, as I assume right. you are. I am too. Well. Yeah. yeah, that that really uh, like, it increases like your anti-fragility yeah. is kind of the idea, mm-hmm. um, which I totally agree with. And also what I heard there was you had lots of practice in like letting go. Yeah. So like letting go is incredible practice for uh, uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Um, so like minimalists have been training for years if the practice that you're you've been doing with minimalism is like I'm gonna practice letting go of something that I've been holding on to. If your practice is like I need to get things perfect, mm. like that's kind of a holding on practice, right? So yeah, it's, it's interesting how that could be either I, way. Yeah. I read about this uh, in about a Buddhist monk who um, found that he was becoming too attached to not being attached. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh wow! And and so like he realized part of his practice was I need to embrace. a a greater level of attachment because it was almost it came off as nihilism or apathy in a way really yeah Yeah. and so um you're buddhist right yeah okay um uh, can we talk about about 
uh, mindfulness. Let's talk about Buddhism. Let's talk about. Let's do it. Um, but I mean, uh, maybe, maybe the good place to start is, yeah, and you can go wherever you want, but the four noble truths, I think are, are something that really sure. resonate with me. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I'm not really, uh, gonna kind of spell out all of Buddhism for, <laughs> for all of you guys right now, but I think for me, um, what Buddhism and, and I, I practice in like the Zen Buddhism, but I also draw from other traditions was I look into the uncertainty training as one of them is a practice of just like mindfulness of. Um, so for uncertainty, what I practice is dropping into the body. Mm -hmm. So like the spotlight of your attention, just really feeling the bodily sensations that come up. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting because most people who haven't practiced mindfulness or meditation, they really have no idea that when, you know, something like happens that really like feels uncertain and like surprises you, right? There's like a feeling that comes up in your body. It's just a bodily reaction to surprise. It's like the rug getting yanked from under you, mm -hmm. or um, or if you're in an elevator and it drops all of a sudden, and you're like ah, oh. mm -hmm. like just that little feeling. It's a bodily feeling, mm. and we can practice with that and get more comfortable with it. But what most people do is they don't realize that there's a feeling, and they just go immediately to trying to get some kind of solid ground under the feet that's been like yanked. You know, the rug's been yanked out from under mm, you. Right. So what they'll do is like they'll go to like some thoughts, a solid thought, right? Which is like, oh, like there's something's wrong with this person for criticizing me because you're feeling the uncertainty of being criticized. Mm -hmm. So you're like, oh, why do they do that? And so you go into this whole story and you build up this incredible like palace of thoughts <laughs> yeah. from this one little like tug on your heart of like, oh, what am I a good person? Mm -hmm. Right. And um, so we, we feel that like, oh, am I going to be okay in this situation? And like, nope, oh, I need to go out and buy a bunch of things to make sure I'm okay. Or like, I need to get everything under control or I never need to go to there again, right? Like never need to be in this kind of situation that makes me feel this way. Mm -hmm. As opposed to dropping into the body, practicing with the sensations and then getting more comfortable with that. And it's like, oh, it's just a feeling. And it's the same feeling, that, like you, you mentioned surprise, it's the same feeling when you get delighted mm -hmm. or excited or are on an adventure. Um, and so it's really not any different. It's just how you relate to that feeling. Mm. Is it the Buddha saying that life is suffering? Is that from the Buddha? Yeah, that's one of the four noble truths. It's yeah. a, that's one way to phrase it. Yeah. And yeah. it's, well, it's interesting because like I had this realization um, my therapist, who's also a little woo-woo-y, told me that this is like a Scorpio <laughs> attitude. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Whatever. Take that for what it is. Um, but I've often thought to myself, like, my whole life, I've been trying to avoid the pile of shit. Mm. Like, I'm constantly, like, yeah. navigating around yep. it, planning how I can not step in it and yep. how I could just avoid it. And then I just had this realization where I'm like, wait a minute, like shit just gets dumped on you and it's not about avoiding the shit it's how you deal with the shit now i think life yeah. of suffering is a much more beautiful way to put that well, <laughs> and and i want to say like for a lot of people who hear that that's why i say it's one way to formulate mm -hmm. that yeah. that belief is uh life is suffering or that like noble truth mm -hmm. and i think when people hear that sometimes it's like oh well that's not true like life isn't all suffering and i think that's there's some truth to that. So I, I yeah. usually say like life does have suffering. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. And like just like acknowledge the truth of there's suffering in life and you can see it in other people. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes we can't see our own suffering, but sometimes it's also really yeah. present for us. And maybe, so, so part of that is, uh, is attachment to desire is 
suffering not right. not desire itself and i think that's usually a key distinction like sure. we, we need some desires in our life yeah if you didn't desire food you'd starve to death right, right? <laughs> um but but uh the attachment imagine like if you just i mean actually ryan and i we were literally the two fattest kids in our school growing up <laughs> i was the fattest he was the second fattest kid when we met in fifth grade and we i think we didn't we didn't let go of the attachment to desire even after we were satiated and mm -hmm. so like we continued to eat and i think that's a perfect metaphor for like if we we get we become satiated but we can't we don't figure out what is enough now there are often societal or cultural cues right. to say we we think we need more it's mimetic beliefs like the society is is thrusting these values or imaginary values onto us and i'm saying well i guess i have to have the 2.3 kids the dog the cat the four bedroom house the three car garage mm -hmm. in order to be satisfied but of course that that's the attachment to desire and then when you get the thing you desire something else always mm -hmm. and so there is a, a type of of suffering in that because we we're not we're almost never comfortable with who we are. Mm. And even when we get what we aspire to get, mm. we're not comfortable with that either. It's, we have trouble identifying enough. Yeah. So maybe the saying is life is uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Yeah, yeah and, th and that's the thing is like all of these things, sometimes people uh, hear these things and they're like, all of these things are like bad, like suffering is bad and desire is bad or even attachment to desire is bad mm -hmm. and like the ways that we get attached to desire and the other way is like aversion like oh i really don't like that so i'm gonna i'm attached to my aversion to this or attached to my desire to it so it's like kind of pulling yourself um or or pushing away from something mm -hmm. yeah um but so the a lot of times people look at these things as like this is bad attachment is bad suffering is bad and i don't see it that way it's there's a lot of acceptance of suffering of attachment mm. of the ways that we avoid things um, or that we really like go towards our desires and don't stop when we're satiated yeah. so it's like this is not about good or bad yes it's just about noticing our tendencies and then learning to kind of be with those and not and be okay with them yeah. you know and not, and that doesn't mean like oh i'm i'm gonna be okay with my attachment and never let go of the attachment but it's more like can i even have compassion for myself when i'm attached because we all are there's not like oh those people are attached and not leo right yeah, for sure. it's like we all are yeah and so just kind of learning to be more compassionate with that and then seeing um another way is kind of the idea is like there's another mm. way and so when you talked about like avoiding the shit right right so like oh i'm gonna move around the shit which is an aversion to something right mm -hmm. like i don't like those type of people. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to always avoid those type of people. And so that's one way. Um, and then there's another way is just noticing that and be like, oh, actually, I can have the shit rain down upon me or I can even see it as not shit, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, it's even that's, better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh, it's a different way. Let's just yeah. like, these are all kinds of ways to kind of explore. Yeah. So like, are these people actually shit or is like all the stuff that life is giving me actually shit? Yeah. So you can change. Yeah. I, I yeah. love that yeah. even with the suffering and the attachment, which we think of those things often, it, maybe it's a very Western mindset of, of binary, good, mm. bad, right, wrong. That's right. Uh, uh, we even see it in our movies and fairy tales and everything, right? It's the yeah. the white hat, black hat sort of thing. And in Westerns, for example, then you have, whenever, when everything is good or bad, 
if something is inherently bad, then you assume the alternative is inherently good. Right. Mm. But we're not even saying suffering is inherently bad here. In, right. in fact, you know, the, the, you're talking about compassion, for example. Compassion just means to be with someone in their suffering. It, it, the, the Latin, you know, calm and passus, which means suffering, um, it just means in suffering is the literal translation. Mm -hmm. And when you think about that, it, compassion isn't a bad thing. Right. It's not a good thing inherently either, though, I think is what you're saying. Yeah. Well, yeah. And so this is not about, I think that's the right thing is like, let's remove the like framework of good and bad. And yes. I think that often isn't very helpful for us. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so absolutely. Like suffering isn't bad. And for, I'll give you an example. So I suffer all the time. Um, and those amounts of suffering allow me to be more compassionate with other people. Mm -hmm. So it's like people, you know, who are um, right, who write into you and they're like, oh, I'm really suffering with this. I'm like, oh, I can relate to that because mm -hmm. I've I've been there. And in fact, maybe I was there today. Right. Yeah. So like that suffering actually allows me to connect to other people through compassion. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And another way is like if you didn't suffer, you probably wouldn't be minimalist right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> like, sure. if I wasn't if I wasn't like suffering from all the crap in my life, I probably wouldn't learn to let go of that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Suffering is, inc is incredibly like full of, of learning. I, yeah, it, totally. I've had to accept because like I think about my childhood and, you know, just all the crap that happened and I used to really resent it. Mm. And then there's a certain point where I really have learned how to like love myself, accept myself. And I had this realization of like, oh, I had to go through all of that to be where I am today. And Absolutely. to actually, yeah, to appreciate the suffering. But I love this idea of like not assigning good or bad and just kind of examining what is because that's one of the best like superpowers I feel like I've gotten in my adult life mm. is living in that gray area. Not like always living in the gray, right? But like using that gray area to to make me uh, be able to show more compassion. Yeah, you know? I love that. Uh, so speaking of good and bad, I want to... You shared one of your favorite quotes, which I loved, uh -huh. by the way. I might steal it. but uh, <laughs> You can have it. Yeah. Um, there's another quote, and this is from a Buddhist master. Uh, he comes from the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. Uh -huh. uh, you guys might have heard of him, uh, Chogyam Trungpa. Okay. So he's this guy who came to the U.S., this Tibetan teacher, and he was like kind of crazy. Also very <laughs> controversial, so don't look him up. But anyway, <laughs> um, he had this quote, which is, the good news is that you're falling through the air with no parachute. Oh no, the bad news is you're oh. falling through the air with no parachute. And you're like, okay, <laughs> which actually that's how it feels for a lot of people right mm -hmm, now, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, like, holy crap, right? And then he's like, the good news is there's no ground below. Mm. Ah, so yeah. you're just like, so you can see in that like quote that you're just kind of like falling and that's how it feels to be in the middle of uncertainty. Yeah. But it's not like this falling is going to be like, you're going to like die, you know, yeah. it's just like something to relax into mm. and accept. And actually maybe there's even enjoyment. Like if you're falling yes. and you know, there's no ground down yeah. there, it's like, oh, this is safe. And I can just like enjoy the, the roller coaster feeling <sighs> of life. You know, that is God, awesome. Dude. And it yeah. make, makes me think of, um, I've had this really just, I don't know, difficult spiritual journey of like being raised a very strict Christian uh, Jehovah's Witness, which is just a strict wow. version of of Christianity, yeah. to um, just kind of letting all that go and not knowing what's out there, and, and, and maybe even being like, you know, okay, the, so there is no God the way that I used to imagine it. To now, I have enjoyed not knowing. Mm. Like I have actually enjoyed like the exploration, and there are certain beliefs that I that I loosely have, but um, because 
I hold on to them so loosely, like they're open for change. But I really have appreciated that falling through the air, so to speak. And it yeah. ha- it, it does help me so much more than oh no, I got to have the answers. I got to keep seeking answers. I got to keep seeking answers. It's like, if I ever find the answer, I imagine that that would really, it might be a bad thing if I actually do find out the answer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I really want to acknowledge you for that because it's so rare to find someone who is like learning to find the joy and not knowing, Mm -hmm. or at least comfort and acceptance and not knowing. I think most of us want to have the answer. It's why Google's so popular. (laughs) Like every time we have a question like, I need to go to Google or, you know, my phone, and so our phones are actually uncertainty machines. It's like, oh. how do I find the certainty right now? Yeah. You can tweet um, that, Sean. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Everyone wants answers. That's why Google's so popular. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, that's yeah. good. But like to to relax into the not knowing is basically that exactly that. And that's the training that actually I'm doing with people is like, how do you stay in the not knowing and actually see the joy, mm-hmm. the delight, the opportunity in the not knowing, yeah. which is so powerful. So most of us will run immediately and there's like a tightness to that of like, I need to find out the answer because it's going to get some solid ground under my feet. Mm -hmm. I won't feel like I'm falling through the air. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. Let's uh, let's talk a bit more about detachment in a way. You've moved a lot. And uh, there's a sort of detaching from a place and and also uh, reattaching. I mean, we even use these these terms like... uh, Moving somewhere and establishing roots, or setting up roots, or, mm-hmm. or um, unrooting ourselves from place, and uh, let's talk about that because you've had quite the journey over the last what 10, 11, 12 years. Something like that. Yeah. It started out in Guam. That's right. You you. That's where we're from. Yeah, and you grew up in Guam. Mostly, yeah. Okay. Here, here in California too. But, okay. Uh, yeah. Um, and and there was a point where you were like, okay, uh, I'm done with this chapter. It's time to graduate from Guam. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to move to San Francisco. What was the impetus behind that? Yeah. And graduating from Guam is not the term I would use. I still love it to death. You know? well, no, and that, that's why I use yeah. the term graduate instead of divorce. <laughs> right? Well, and it's like that with, for my, in my mind, that, that term means like moving on from like and moving to something better mm. almost. And like I, Guam is always with me. Yeah. So I just want to say that, like, if people are listening from Guam, I love Guam to death. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think there's anything higher than that. Um, and yeah, it, it felt like there was this whole world to explore. And if you if you're from Guam, it's like being from a small town in Ohio, I'm sure it's like this is your whole world. Yeah. All of your family's there, your roots. And like there, you know, there's, you know, there's, you know, New York City's out there, but like. You know that's that's a whole different universe right so yeah. my world is here yeah and so for me it was i knew there was another world my parents had come to california when i was a kid mm. and so i knew there was this out there and i really wanted to explore it personally but also i knew that if i didn't take my family out of guam they wouldn't ever have the, a taste of that and like that kind of like oh there's something different and mm. it's not scary it's not the end of the world to move some, somewhere else mm-hmm. so i wanted to give that kind of freedom to them and they could always come back to guam mm. um and so that was kind of a expanding of our horizons as a family yeah awesome. and so and connecting with amazing i would if i hadn't left guam i wouldn't have ever met you two right <laughs> and a bunch of other people who i'm so happy that i did meet yeah. so yeah. it's really allowing for um a lot of different connections mm. a lot of new inspiration um just exploration um, of something new for us and so i had to enroll my wife mm-hmm. and our kids in this because yes. 
we were all very attached to the way that we had the life we had in Guam. We had right. a deep family um, network, like deep roots there. Uh -huh. um, lots of friends. It was everything that we knew, and the kids loved it to death. Mm. So leaving that was like this uprooting, and that was very painful. Mm. And how um, old were your six kids? So two questions for yeah. you. Um, how old were your six kids when you moved? When you when you did the initial uprooting? Right. And also, let's flash back for a minute because you grew up in a time in Guam where the rest of the world wasn't as readily available as, as it is today. Mm. There, there wasn't YouTube. Yeah. Uh, when, when right? you, I moved in uh, 2010, so there no, might have been. I know, but I'm saying when you grew up. Oh, when I grew up. Oh, when up, I grew up okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, the time we're, that we're you time traveling. All right. Yeah, <laughs> the time that you there. spent in Guam, you know, sort of, let's call it pre-internet days. Okay. Um, I imagine it, it had to feel so isolated but i don't say that in a bad way hmm. um, speaking as an introvert yeah right, right. <laughs> i'm like oh that sounds maybe i should move to guam yeah uh, well that's a fantasy right yeah, yeah. Um, oh, it's like yeah. the fantasy of minimalism like i get there and everything's gonna be great right yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. no yeah it's, it's not probably what you're what you're imagining okay yeah um so well yeah go ahead well when i when i think about you know any of the these the places that you move to or that we move to we often like you said that we associate you said fantasy and i i love that 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 use of that word there because yeah. we move somewhere and we have an idea mm -hmm. of it's going to change everything it's what peter rollins would call object a if yeah. i just move to this place everything is then going <laughs> to be fixed for me but i i don't see that with you and your journey right your journey was about well, no, it's and that's why I use the term graduate. I mean, moving on to whatever the next thing is. You graduate first grade to go to second grade. It doesn't mean I hated first grade. I might have liked first grade more actually than second grade. <laughs> but it's time for me to. It, right now is the appropriate time for me to move on to find a new chapter. It doesn't mean you don't go back either. Sure. Hmm. Yeah, for us, for well, for me, and this is what I how I sold it for the for the family is like this was a way to explore like new adventures uh -huh. right there's like mountains we don't we don't have mountains in Guam right yeah. we're an mm -hmm. island mm -hmm. um, so like you know mountains and deserts and like you know cities and just like we from from San Francisco where we moved first uh, we were able to like go to Europe and like you know just New York City and all these like places that we'd only seen in movies. Mm. So there was all of this world of exploration was kind of how we looked at it. So adventure, exploration, and learning. So for example, when we moved to San Francisco, we got rid of our car. We went carless for uh, four years. Mm -hmm. Wow! So that was a great experiment. And it was like, there were challenges to it, but it was also very freeing. I feel like that was before us. Uber too. It was, we, Uber came up when we were there. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. It was there. For but it was like, okay. no, it was, it was there right, right at the tail end of it. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. But there were, basically there were some years you didn't have a car where Uber was not available. No, yeah. we had Zipcar, which we could use to go places if we needed to outside of the city. Right. But within the city, we walked or, um, or mass Bart. transit. Yeah. That's it. Right. And it was awesome. Like I really loved it. And yeah. if you can live in a city that's like that, you're, you're so privileged do you know what i yeah, mean for sure. um so like I, I i loved it and then we moved outside of san francisco and it was like okay let's explore what it's like to have a minivan so, oh, wow. <laughs> and bikes and so like that was that was a different experience but it was like everyone was a new chapter in our adventure yeah. and yeah. new things to to learn about and explore and you were in san diego it. recently uh up until recently yeah we were there for about a year okay yeah, yeah. And, and uh all of these places even though they're all california they are like 
they're all unique places, right? Yeah. And so you pick up something uh, about the culture that you're able to sort of, I guess, incorporate into your own being. Yeah, I feel like I didn't really pick up on San Diego's culture no? into my being as much. Like, you know, there's the surfer vibe, and yeah. I, I definitely enjoy their IPAs. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah. but other than that, like, I, um, yeah, I didn't... Um, I didn't get into the like the beach culture and okay. even the music scene and mm. all kinds of other things that are there. Mm. We really did enjoy the city. Yeah. Um, but yeah, every single place was like a new exploration. We moved back to Guam for nine months right. and that was amazing. It was a different island than when we left. Mm. How so? You know what I mean? Like, uh, well, you know, there was like farmers markets now and things like that. Uh -huh. um, but also it's just like people were rediscovering culture and like their islander roots and their heritage. How long have you been gone before, before you moved, moved back? Um, we moved back in 2018, so about eight, eight nine okay. years. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it was new, but it was also like, oh, just coming back yeah. to like our family and, and like coconut trees. And like, yeah. it was just amazing. Like the water is like coming home, you know. Mm, yeah. um, so the water is like bath water, like that kind of temperature. Oh, in wow. the 80, 82 degrees. That's incredible. Um, so yeah, it was just it was lovely, and then and that sank sank into my being, as you said. Mm -hmm. um, and then moving back to California was cool. Um, yeah, now we're like in the suburbs, and it was just, it's unlike any other place we've ever lived. Right. It's actually an Asian American community, which okay. is so cool. Like there's Asian restaurants and grocery stores and like tea shops and things like that. Um, and it's just like we're we're now a minority. Uh, well, we're usually a minority, but we're a, <laughs> we're a minority of and not like with white people. It's a minority uh -huh. with Asian people. And uh -huh. It's really cool yeah. to kind of have that experience. Yeah, for sure. Totally. Yeah. One of the things that really stood out to me early on. In fact, I remember you writing about no, having no goals. OK. And I had a visceral reaction to it. All right. Because <laughs> I was like. What an idiot. <laughs> His name was <laughs> Joshua, the goals guy, Melbourne. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I used to have spreadsheets of goals. I had sub goals to my goals. I can relate. Uh, and and so uh, you wrote this thing. I'm going to put a link to this in the show notes. Um, this Just is from stir a, people up. a long yeah. time ago. The best goal yeah. is no goal. I remember you talking about it at that first uh, World Domination Summit. That's oh, where nice. I was introduced to the no goals. Yeah. And it was, yeah, it was super inspiring. Yeah, that um, was a, a decade ago. Yeah, uh, more than yeah, a decade ago. Yeah. Decade ago. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. The 2011. Um, and so Ryan and I went out there. Um, you heard you talk about it, mm -hmm. and at first I read this this essay about the no goals thing, and I'm just like, yeah, but um, that doesn't work in the real world. But then I tried it, and wow. uh, ever since I've been anti goal. <laughs> I've been anti-goal yeah. for the last decade, thanks to Leo Babauta. Right. Um, and, and and I I have one one exception for my own personal life is like I feel like the metaphor I use if you're in a crater, it's good to have a goal to get out of the crater. Mm -hmm. But once you're in a crater, you can travel in any direction you want. You don't need a destination. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's uh, great. And, and so like the crater for me, my biggest crater was being in debt. So yeah, right. I had a goal to get out of debt. But like once I got out of the crater, I didn't need new financial goals. I didn't. Right. Well, I need to make a million dollars, and then it's ten million. No, like I don't need that 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 goal. And so let's talk about maybe let's make some distinctions. But what do you say? What do you mean when you say you know, the best goal is no goal? Yeah. Well, that title is intentionally meant to rile people up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just kind of like it it shakes you a little bit. And it's like what what the hell? Because I I came from. Um, a very much goal oriented, you know, that, that was who I was. Yeah. Zen Habits was like 
basically getting things done plus like simplicity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And habits. Yeah. Um, so like, uh, yeah, I, I loved goals and it was like everything that I had learned was about that. And it was like, huh, like what would it be like? I noticed myself attached to the goals and goals were attachment for me. So when I, when I put that out there, it was in the middle of an experiment where I was like, what would it be like to live without goals? It's just like, you know, live without cars, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I did it and I was like, oh, this is awesome, <laughs> right? Like yeah. so much less attachment, but I also noticed myself doing different things. So it was like really rich. But the, to, to get to your question, the best goal is no goal is like, the idea is letting go of these goals kind of frees you. It's like going out into like, you know, kind of what the metaphor you're using is like this kind of uncharted territory without like, I need to get to that spot. So it's like if you've ever been uh, traveling and you go into a forest or a city and you know, if you're like, I have to get to this place, this museum, right? Like you start charting your territory and mm -hmm. this is how I get there. It's very much like this is a fixed thing mm -hmm. and there's nothing else in the city except for my path to that place. Mm -hmm. As opposed to what if it would, what if you could just go out and just wander, yeah. get lost yeah. and like explore and like see what there is. And so that's what that's what no goals is. It's really just kind of wandering. The getting yeah. lost thing again. We assign good and bad. Getting lost that sounds terrible, but like, <laughs> what's so bad about that? Right. In some oh, cases, doesn't it sound yeah. awesome? Right. Yeah. As long it, as you have the time. I mean, getting yeah, lost is sure. a good thing. <laughs> but, but yeah, but yeah, and, and even if you don't have the time, you know, what's what I remember what what it was it Russell Simmons who said about meditation. Like, if you don't have time to meditate for 30 minutes a day you need to meditate for two hours a day <laughs> oh wow and, and it's like uh, it, it's like well we, we talk about time as though yeah. like we, in fact we even use terms like that have the time right we don't actually have the time <laughs> like I, I don't own it, it right. i'm moving through it it's a construct anyway mm -hmm. and, and so um what i love about about the no goal thing is you talk about overwhelm quite a bit, and it's mm. one of the things that I struggle with too. I think introverts sure. probably struggle with overwhelm more than extroverts. Yeah. But but the no goal thing really helped me with overwhelm because I remember my spreadsheets of goals. It looked good. Mm -hmm. Like literally, <laughs> I, Ryan, I had. Oh man! So we started listening to like Tony Robbins and stuff, <laughs> yeah, and like yeah. getting this like you know awesome. this inspiration. Yeah, yeah. and. Uh, you know, that's one of the things I'm going on a tangent here, but that's one of the things too that Josh introduced me to that if it wasn't for him, I don't know if I would have gotten into it. So when, when he introduced with, me to uh, with Tony Robbins. Oh yeah. So like when Tony's he introduced so powerful. When he yeah, when he introduced me to minimalism, I'm like, what the heck is minimalism? But you know, it's my best friend, so maybe there's something there and I, you know, looked into it. Same thing with Tony Robbins, like I just remember him being really cheesy. And sure. then Milburn like let me a CD or something. I'm like, all right, I'll give it a chance. And yeah, totally, yeah. I I love me some Tony Robbins. But <laughs> Josh came up with this goal spreadsheet and it was the top 10 goals and it was like you know where you're at what you need to do next step things you've accomplished and i remember seeing that and just looking at the worksheet oh, felt overwhelmed <laughs> and then i actually sat down and like filled it out at a certain point and then what happened as the days went on is that i just found myself giving you know five percent or ten percent to each thing which yeah. resulted in really nothing getting done yeah well, and the, here's another thing that's really interesting is uh, if you have this spreadsheet of your goals thing, it's like the, it's it's the fantasy uh -huh. that we talked about, right? Oh, so yeah. it's like, oh, yeah, this, this is what my life is going to look like after I've accomplished all these 10 goals, right? Uh -huh. And so, like, if I can just do this path and you kind of visualize yourself, like, I'm going to go through all these steps perfectly and get to this end destination and then life will be fixed. Yeah. Right? My life is going to be so much better. 
And so like we we go through our lives like that every day, like most of us do. Yeah. And so it's like this fantasy and you're living in this fantasy most of the time and you totally are missing out, first of all, on what's right in front of you, which mm -hmm. is like already amazing. Life is already fixed. Mm -hmm. Like and so we're blocked out because we're looking at that. And then here's the thing is how often do, do those 10 goals actually get achieved exactly the way you thought? Right. Like you might actually get out of debt. You might actually do some of the other things. Lose some weight, yeah. Most of the time, if, if anyone ever goes back to what they created as a goal sheet in the beginning of the year, at uh -huh. the end of the year, yeah. I, c I can almost guarantee you that it doesn't look anything like that. No. Yeah. yeah. In, in, in fact, the opposite is also true, but to get back to the spreadsheet it, for a second, you know, what would happen to me, it became this engine of discontent because I would accomplish, of the dozen goals I had, I'd do seven of them, but I f that means I failed five times and I I'm creating this narrative instead of celebrating the success of the seven. I'm looking at where I didn't achieve, you know, so-called achievement really and beating myself up over it. And so it became this way to uh, just feel it was a constant stressor in my life. Yeah. And, and I found that when I removed those, those sort of goals that I... I removed much of the stress, but also Ryan and I, when we started the minimalists you know, over a decade ago now, it was, imagine if we create a spreadsheet and said, all right, well, oh here's what we're going to do. <laughs> we're going to write four books. We're going to start a podcast. Yeah. We'll go on nine tours in 10 years. We uh, doing, you would all, never have even imagined it. I no. I, and even if we did, I think I would have looked at that spreadsheet of 20 or 30 goals and be like, nah, this is too much. Forget it. I'm not going to do any <laughs> yeah. of it. Just quit. It yeah. was disempowering. And so right. I think one of the lessons I learned from you is sometimes our goals are actually disempowering. They can be. Yeah. Mm. And the interesting thing is actually every, so as I'm pointing to this in that like post of the best goal is no goal, I'm really having people kind of re-examine their relationship to goals. Mm -hmm. So I'm not actually, I don't actually believe goals are bad, you right. know, like using the good, bad kind of lens. Mm -hmm. I just think that we only can see things through the lens of goals if that's the only thing that we've ever tried. Yes. So it's like this only, like I only use a hammer, right? So like, you know, letting go of the hammer allows you to try using your bare hands or using a saw or, or, or pliers or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so why not try something different? And mm -hmm. so that's what I was doing was I let go of the hammer. I tried something different. Um, and now I've actually been kind of exploring different territory. So I'm not goalless at the mm -hmm. moment to kind of confess to my priests here. Oh, I, love uh, this, <laughs> I love this. Well, no, it's just a... Yeah. Uh, your whole story uh, from, you know, washing your shirts in the sink to where you're at now, having more hobbies and now having some sure. goals. I mean, it's a great example, man, because this is this is real life. And that's, right. you know, that's what I love about what, what all of us do here at the table is we talk about how we live our real life and how we, uh, you know, kind of keep that balance and manage. So the fact that you have goals now, I think that's freaking sweet. I'm, I'm totally going to try. I already have been practicing living in the gray, mm -hmm. but there's mm. something about like I actually in my head goals are bad and sure. the, and i don't know why that is i think it's just because I, me I, <laughs> <laughs> well i just re, i just resent myself you know from a decade ago who yeah. had all these goals and felt the same pressure that josh did well it could be that the wrong goals are bad like oh, it, yeah. in a way yeah. where it's like the mimetic goals the society goals that the thrust upon you yeah. it's like if buying a lamborghini it's not necessarily a bad goal but it could be a bad goal for you right well and so actually what I wanted to bring out is 
it's the interesting thing for me is to examine your relationship to goals, to tasks, to like the way that you're moving towards that goal. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, in the beginning, I said best goal is no goal, and it's right. to make people like, oh, do I need to re-examine? my relationship to goals and, mm -hmm. and to attachment to those goals and to like fantasy and like, am I blocking out, you know, what's going on right now and how awesome life already is. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, does this actually come true or am I just going to like, you know, pretend that this is going to come true mm -hmm. or am I blocking out other possibilities like the whole, you know, you know, tours and books and all the stuff that you didn't even know was, was possible. Right. Like if you let go of goals, sometimes that opens up possibility. So that's one thing is to start to look at your relationship to that stuff. But then when you throw away goals, you can be like, well, now what's my relationship to goals? Am I like thinking of them as evil? And mm -hmm. like, it, can I have no rigor in my life where I'm not actually moving through with like steps and things like that? Yeah. So is there a way where I can move towards a goal without being attached to it, without blocking out what's going on right now? So that's, you know, for me, it's always exploration. And yeah. so that's what I'm looking at right now is like, can I have this mission in life, which is what I'm on right now, is to change people through this uncertainty training. Mm -hmm. Can I have this mission that is heart centered that I, where I can feel it here as opposed to like, that's where I'm going to be fixed. Mm. Like, no, right now I feel the mission. Yeah. Right now I feel the love for people. Right. And so I, and every step along the way I can do that and appreciate those steps and not just Okay, when I get to the goal, that's when I'll be happy. Yeah. Um, and it might not look the way that I originally set out to. So like there's like my North Star. So I'm going to go there. But maybe I learn halfway there that actually that's not the North Star. That's what I thought it was at the beginning of the journey. So it's it's a unfolding kind of process that I can allow to happen uh, while still keeping my commitment. So that's it's like kind of a, uh, a lot to learn and I'm still kind of exploring that right now mm. let's talk about your relationship to productivity because All when right. you started zen habits it was in many ways as you said gtd plus right. you know, uh, mindfulness or what uh, simplicity uh, so productivity was something that was important to you early on mm. because it did help you in some ways but it helped you until it hurt you in a way <laughs> right and i think that's true with a lot of these things that we we try if we become obsessed with it or we take something to its terminus or beyond its terminus right. uh, the things that are once useful you know it's like a hammer is a great tool and we're still, until we start bludgeoning ourselves <laughs> with it right exactly right. and so uh were you bludgeoning yourself with productivity i was yeah for me productivity so you know looking back on where i started i was like doing nothing i was procrastinating like i wasn't writing i wasn't doing anything really that i uh, i could be proud of and so I started to shift that and really learn some systems and habits that really worked. So I, I created something awesome for myself. I, you know, Zen Habits is the result of that. Mm -hmm. But like it got to be yeah, too much where I was like, I was trying to like hyper, be hyper productivity. Yeah. Um, and so it was like that kind of, it's kind of like, you know, the, like I really need to like minimize all my stuff until I get to zero, right? Yeah. Um, so it was like that too for me. It was like, okay, this is working, this is working. And it was a way to, first of all, to start out with, it was a way to eliminate uh, overwhelm and stress and feeling bad about myself. Mm. And so I did all of this and I, I helped with that. And yet I still had some of the overwhelm and stress yeah. and feeling bad about myself. Mm -hmm. And so actually I learned like, oh, actually this didn't solve it. Mm -hmm. So that's when I started to like let go of goals and start to shift things. 
And then I realized, like, actually, it didn't matter what tool I'm reaching for. I'm really not like not addressing the thing that's in here, you know, yeah. um, and learning to deal with the overwhelm and feeling bad about myself. Let's so that's kind of the journey I've been on. What were some of the productivity things that helped you early on with the procrastination and other things? Yeah. Like, were, were there any tools early on that that were they, they helped move you in the right direction? Yeah, I think just actually any system. Uh-huh. It's better than no system when you first start. Right. Uh, just right. having anything really. So like I reached for uh, GTD, getting things done. Uh-huh. And so that was, I got so into it. I did everything in the thing. And then I was like, this is a lot, you know, like maybe I can throw some of these out. And uh-huh. I actually created my own like simple version of that called Zen to Done. Uh-huh. Um, I remember this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was like, okay, what are the essential things here? Which is, you know, something that probably you guys do like I do. Like yeah. what's the most important stuff here? And I figured those out. And then that was the system I used. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, definitely like having at least having like a task list, and then like what's the task list that I'm going to work on right now? The most important things mm-hmm. um, that really helped. And then um, like having a way to deal with the like crap load of emails I was getting, you know, mm, yeah. <laughs> um, just having a, a system for dealing with that. Just like, okay, this is what I do here and this is what I do there. You had a really militant email system <laughs> from what I remember early on. And I really admired it because I, there was there was something I, and I have no idea whether or not you still do this. Um, but uh, <laughs> but I, there was something and I never even tried it, but um you had something set so that as soon as you opened an email, something had to be done with it. Oh yeah, mm. and, and like so, you couldn't you that. couldn't yeah. put it off for later. You either had to respond there in the moment, or it automatically was deleted. I don't remember. I, I, it was a way of setting up. I set up some uh, rules in Gmail uh-huh. where um, so this is your inbox, and let's say I had twenty emails. Mm-hmm. Open the first one. If I didn't deal with it, uh, like reply or or whatever, mm-hmm. and I moved to the next one without doing anything it was going to be gone from my inbox and I'd have to like look for that email later. So it was just basically, um, it just removed anything that had been opened. Uh Mm. And so, um, yeah, it was like, okay, it just made me realize that I was putting them off. And so that was just a tool to like bring into my face, like, are you going to deal with this or not? And Mm. maybe I'd put it on my task list to actually deal with later, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't just like, okay, let me just, leave that in the pile. Right. So yeah. it was it was a good way for me to kind of like distinguish what I was doing. It eliminated the pile in a way. It really did. Well, yeah. it, or at least put it into a pile where I was actually going to take action as opposed yeah. to like it's just this big mass of emails, you know. Yeah. yeah. So, so it eliminated the mess then in a way. Yeah, it was a yeah, yeah, really. It helped helped me to put it into the right bucket like this is something I'm going to do today or or later. Yeah. And then I knew I had trust in the system, which is what getting things done is all about. It's like developing a system that you can trust. Mm-hmm. And so knowing that I was going to take it from the email and put it onto a list and that list was going to be dealt with was so big for me. Yeah. 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 How do you deal with email now? I notice you use a, like a hey.com account, <laughs> which uh, our friend Jason Freed. Oh, he's your uh, friend. Yeah. He, oh, he's he, so cool. He's been on the podcast before. He's a great dude. Um, he may be you guys know the here. coolest people. I can't believe I made the top of the list. <gasps> the coolest person you know. You're at the I, top I'm of gonna the list, Leo. Tell yeah. Jason that I'm cooler than him. <laughs> he, you actually have the top three spots. So yeah. <laughs> Leo, Leo, Leo. Right. Um, so uh, uh, yeah, hey.com. Hey.com is like a Gmail alternative. Uh, uh-huh. I believe people have to pay for it yep. as well. Um, and there's a reason for that. But uh, it. It's 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 a different service. I won't go into all the, the details. If people want to look it up, just uh, hey h e y dot com. <laughs> and uh, how do you manage email now? Um, I yeah, I don't have like any um, maybe thought through system, but it's 
it's pretty simple. I'll open an email. I'll reply to it. If I'm not going to reply to it, hey, hey, I like hey as a tool, by the way. It's a uh-huh. cool tool for like staying on top of your emails. Okay. So if you're not going to reply to it, you just hit reply later, and it goes into the stack of reply laters. Uh-huh. And then like at some point during the day, usually towards the end of the day, I'll get to that reply later stack, and I'll just go through and try and clear it out. Mm. Yeah. Uh, sometimes some stay in that, and that's fine. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it's like, um, I'm... It, Basically, just that right there, what I just described, mm-hmm. has made hey like worth it for me because it means like I'm not worried about email anymore. Like it's Th- that's yeah. good. Cause yeah, I, I feel like I have an unhealthy relationship with email still, even though most I've done, people do. <laughs> most right? of us do. Yeah, uh, and so like we've had Cal Newport on here a few times talking okay. about digital minimalism and <laughs> you guys do know the coolest people. <laughs> uh, well, thanks yeah. to you. Um, and and, and so like. It, you took us down this path. Um, but with Cal, he, I think he's working on a book. Hopefully it, it ends up coming out because my one criticism, he gave us a, a few advanced copies of minimalism to, to, to go through the book. My one criticism about the book is like, there's not a whole lot in here about email. <laughs> and he's like, no, that's a whole separate book. Wow. Oh, nice. And, and so I'm only going to talk to the patrons about this, but like the, uh, he, I think he wants to write a book called a world without email. Oh, and wow. to me, there's something I'm an extremist and, mm-hmm. Uh, and also, like, th- this is an object A for me here, where I was like, that's the fantasy. Yeah. The, but no, email is actually really helpful in a lot of ways. It can yeah. be. Yeah. yeah. And, and so it's really helpful and it's really hurtful. <laughs> and, and, and I need. Is it though? Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Okay. It, it takes up, it, it occupies a lot of space in my mind. Okay. And, and I'm trying to. Why is that? Um, Let's go into this. I, pick, I think part of it is probably the, the OCD, and I'm I'm a completist in in yeah. many respects. And so the reason that what you did was um, it really resonated with me, like where nothing can stay in your inbox, sort of thing. I have to be at inbox zero, or mm. I'm discontented. And now that's terrible. But like, um, <laughs> in fact, when you, um, I, I remember I was looking at Gmail. Uh, I don't have it on my phone anymore because right. that's just. But there was this time. Uh, and I'm sure it's still there. Like if you get the inbox zero on your phone on Gmail, it says you have no new emails. Enjoy your day. Yeah. Nice. Now here's the thing though. I took that literally. I can't <laughs> enjoy my day until I have no more emails. <laughs> and that's still sort of the ethos for yeah. me. And so it's one of the things I don't struggle with social media. I don't struggle with TV viewing. It, it I feel now, I do a really good job of, of not responding unless I absolutely have to. Again, something I learned from you. Only respond to the things that require mm. response. I don't resp- re- reply all. Thanks, team. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. I, well, so, it's, so I, I find everyone has an interesting relationship to email. Mm-hmm. You just described one. And there's others who have that for sure. And there's yeah. others who are like, I don't want to look at my email at all. Or like, I just let things pile up into a huge, un, you know, like, 50,000, you know, unread emails in my inbox. So there's like all kinds of relationship. And for me, it's just like kind of re-examining my relationship to email. Mm. And so like for years, I would ask like if there were 10 unread emails in your inbox, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that so what I'm hearing is like that that has you like feeling incomplete. Yeah. Yeah. Anxious. So what what does it mean to you if you have unread emails? It, it means that I, there's, wow. Well, what, let, like, no, no, another no, no, to, I've got it. I'm, just, I'm okay. saying wow because I just had a realization. Okay, mm-hmm. great. Uh, th- that realization is um, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. Right. Mm. Yeah. So that, so 
that defines your email relationship, which is your relationship to email, which is when there is unread emails, which there always are, by the way. That, we've received uh, several I, since we've been sitting here. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't done my job or I haven't done a good job or I, there's something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. Right. So like those means something's wrong with you. And most people have a relationship to email. That's something like that. Th this means something's wrong with me mm. or I'm not doing enough. And so like that's something I've reexamined. It's like, no, for me, I, I'm not going to let that be my relationship to email. Mm -hmm. It's like those emails just mean people want my attention, which means they love me. Right. Like there's abundance in the world. So there there's a way that I can serve or there's a way I can connect. And so, um, yeah, I'm just re-examining that. Wow. Mm. I love email all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cured. That's well, no. no. So, like, it's not just as easy as, no. like, saying that. You no. have to practice it and embody it. Isn't no, that I, interesting yeah, how you're right. intellectually you can understand of something? Course. But to get there emotionally, it's like, yeah, it's, it's a journey. It, it'll take weeks before you can, like, actually feel that. No, I, I love that, that distinction, though. I yeah. think it's I think it's a really important reframing reframing like yeah your pers your perspective yeah and it. we have the same relationship to our task list or to goals yeah. or to like phone calls or or you know messages on on the phone or whatever or social media mm -hmm. is another one like social media is evil or no social media is the way that I get validation like there's mm -hmm. all kinds of relationships to it yeah. and re-examining that and finding a, an empowering relationship to it can be like really awesome yeah so. <laughs> what i like about these uh like you talked about your system with email um josh in the past has talked about his system with to-do lists yeah. and they're very they're systems but they're not like this rigorous must has to be done right um and that's uh, there's something there with um the, the same way that you hold goals like it doesn't have to be good or bad it's just coming up with something and being a little bit flexible with it i love what josh does with his list it's like you have today and then you have someday. Yeah, I don't. I, I, don't, I don't have a to do list. I have a today list. Oh, nice. And so, like, these are the things I must do today. And yeah. if it doesn't make that list, it's not an actual priority. And this is sort of the essentialism approach in, in some yeah. ways, where where um, priority is the th you maybe even Tim Ferriss, where he's you know the what's the one thing you could do that would make the other things less relevant. Mm. Or, and, and then I have a someday list where it's like. Yeah, maybe I'll do that. But and I go through the someday list all the time and I'm constantly just deleting <laughs> stuff. That almost becomes my to don't list. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, after a while they're like, That's not relevant. I don't know why I was, well, I was gonna commit Absolutely. myself to that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like well, that was a one week project and I don't need I, and by the way, it's so freeing when I just delete it. It's like I don't it know really why there, there's some other there's something there. I, it was never an actual obligation. Right. But because I wrote it down I I felt like I had obligated myself to it. Mm. Yeah, well and that so most of us relate to uh, tasks that way, and what's what uh, we can hear in that is like it felt like a burden, right? So like mm -hmm. our task list is actually just filled with burdens, yeah. uh, and so like and emails are like that too. It's like mm -hmm. oh, there's all these burdens that I have, and so of course most of us have a troubled relationship with task lists, right? Like mm -hmm. oh, I don't want to do all of this stuff because it's a huge burden, yeah. as opposed to like oh, this is an adventure or this is like opportunity or this is like oh this there's a game i can play with this yeah. there's ways we can kind of shift that you mm -hmm. know what i mean yeah yeah for sure i do that with exercise it's like when i am talking myself out of it i'm like okay put yourself in a position where well actually i was in this position my back was i broke my back uh like a year ago a little oh, over man. a year ago I mean, it sounds way worse than what it was. It was just like the little, the little nubbins on the side of the vertebrae. He, so it, he ended up, he broke five vertebrae. He's 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 being a little coy right yeah, now. Yeah, well, bad. but but the vertebrae itself didn't crack. It was very similar to breaking ribs, but it was still like Could I mean, you walk? 
Uh, I could walk, yes. Okay. But you know, but I couldn't exercise. I you know, you know, I've got a bed that um, you know, it it like automatically goes up and down. I've never appreciated that bed more than my life <laughs> than when I had that. Um, but uh, but yeah, I put myself in a position where I'm like, okay, imagine that you couldn't work out for the last like two months, and this is your very first time being able to work out. Oh, wow. Like, how does that make you feel? Or imagine like I lost the use of my legs, and all of a sudden I regained my legs back. Yeah. Like, you know, how good would that make me feel? How motivated would I be to work out? And it's not this like magic bullet answer, but it is like reframing the perspective to kind of help motivate me to yeah right and it, so yeah there's the re- reframing is kind of the initial thing like how do i reframe this and then there's the practice of embodying that like mm. this is opportunity or this is adventure or whatever mm. it is that you you choose to see it as you have to actually practice that and like i said it takes weeks probably yeah. like months for embodying most of us to shift that the opportunity i love yeah, yeah i love that yeah so and, and there's nothing wrong with us if we like relate to something as burden or like uh, like I'm a bad person for not having my email inbox cleared. We all do it. Yeah. This is not like you or you or like or me. This is every single person relates mm-hmm. to things in this way. And so we can. There's so much opportunity to shift that. Another thing that another thing just to kind of share on this, like, as we share around this, um, is is there an opportunity to create like a sacred space around that for me? Mm. So like, um, so for example, I haven't been doing this one, you know, this one thing, which is a regular, you know, weekly thing for me. Like, and so I'm like, oh, that means I'm a bad person. (laughs) Like Mm. I'm falling short. I'm not doing enough. And everyone's going to see how terrible I am. Right. Right. Maybe that's how that's what comes up for me. And so I'm like, okay, first of all, it doesn't mean anything about you that you haven't been doing that. It just means you haven't, you don't have like space for that and you mm. haven't created that space. Mm. So can I create like 30 minutes in my week where I do this every week and then use this as like a space that feels really sacred and important and empowered. Mm. Right. So yeah. I'm actually trying to like create more of those empowered, like sacred spaces. Oh, I like that. That's yeah. a, a nice third component there. Yeah. Yeah. The finding the, the appreciation or the gratitude, practicing it mm-hmm. in a way, but then also making the sacred spaces mm. um, that I think will fuel the sort of gratitude and the the embodiment of yeah. whatever the practice and is. And it's not like a space where you're just like, oh, this is burden where I have to, like, I have to do this. It's more yeah. like, oh, I get to do this. Like, I get to be in the space with this thing that's really important for me or it would be really powerful if I did this on a regular basis. And that subtle shift yeah. between have to to get to, yeah. I mean, while it's hard and you have to practice it, I've, I've, I've had that in a bunch of areas of my life and I'm not there with email yet, sure. obviously, <laughs> but I've had that shift and man, it's so profound because, and it's, it's freeing in ways that I don't think I understood intellectually, mm. uh, or maybe if I did understand it intellectually, I didn't. Un- I didn't understand it viscerally right. until actually making that shift. We have uh, some surprise questions from our audience. All right, let's do it. Yeah, I, I want to throw one more thing on before we go into the questions. Um, so I, you mentioned about beating yourself up for not doing something, and uh, I'm, there's this like men's group that I belong to, but uh, there was a, a call that I had missed. Totally like whiffed it. Forgot to call this man. And I give him a call and I was like pouring my, you know, like all my guilt onto him and projecting. And he was like, Nicodemus, he's like, the best thing you can do for yourself is be nice to yourself. And he's like, in any time, he's like, if you want to, if you want me to forgive you, he's like, be nice to yourself, especially in the future when Mm -hmm. things like this happen. And I've actually, that was only a few weeks ago and I've taken that to heart where, and I'm just giving this advice to someone who beats himself up all the time. You will, I have not once regretted yet being kind to myself when I usually beat myself up. 
it's such an important point if i could just speak to that for yeah, for yeah. a minute um so that um what you just spoke to is most people don't want to do that because they believe that if they let themselves off the hook mm -hmm. they're not going to do better next time so right. there's we use this like whip for ourselves as like a way to get better like right. if i say oh it was okay that you didn't you know do whatever today that means tomorrow i'm just gonna not do it right so that's right. that's how people like think like if i if i'm really hard on myself i'm gonna do better mm -hmm. and that never works like no. we it's basically like if you tried to train a puppy you know um the old way was like smack it mm -hmm. and that's what we do with ourselves yeah and now th what we know is like encouragement and reward and like move it closer and closer to the goal with yeah with that kind of encouragement um, we don't smack the puppy um, if we want it to like not unless we just want to train it to be afraid of us right, right. Um, so that's what we're doing constantly is smacking ourselves and trying to make that motivate us to do better and it doesn't work it just makes us afraid of ourselves it makes yeah. us feel terrible about ourselves and then go for our comforts and like not yeah. and then just like spiral downward but instead if we like did give ourselves compassion as you're modeling for us like it actually um helps us to um helps us to do better because we know like oh if i mess this up it's actually okay yeah um and then when you screw up again then you're like oh i didn't beat myself up enough last time so then you be, that's what I would do. I beat myself up even more. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's and, uh. It's it's like you said. It can lead to a downward downward spiral. Well, and if you do that, and you think you have this hidden belief that that's going to make you do better, look at the last decade of your life. Has that actually worked? Yeah. I've never actually seen it work. Yeah. I totally yeah. agree with that. Yeah. Got a All question right, here from Emily. All right. How do I minimize overconsumption of information and misinformation while maximizing appropriate constructive knowledge for living, thriving, and fighting the destructive powers that be? Man, that's overwhelming. I, <laughs> I, 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 I like the first part of the question, yeah. and then it starts to unravel pretty quickly. Um, Emily, uh, thank you for your question. So, Leo, how do I minimize overconsumption of information and misinformation? That's one question. Mm -hmm. It actually makes me think of a metaphor um for nourishment like you yes. changed your diet early on right? right uh you went to you were vegetarian vegan and and you were making intentional decisions about what you were putting into your body mm -hmm. and i think when it comes to information it's also about intentional decisions about what we put into our brain exactly. mm -hmm. is it nutritious is it going to bring me more health is it and i see that as you give yourself nutritious food is like this is a loving act so mm -hmm. the same thing with information is like is this bringing me inspiration is mm -hmm. it giving me what i need is it nourishing me mm. um and there's a way where like oh something that's nourishing you you can have too much of it so it's like yes. I'm I'm just like always reading like all of these blogs or you know websites mm -hmm. um, or watching you know a bunch of inspirational things on YouTube instead of actually doing anything right yeah. <laughs> so like you know there's nothing wrong with that but it's just noticing like oh yeah like I've I've I'm kind of like gluttoning out right now on this yeah. um, and so that's just again looking at what you can shift and and sometimes letting go of a lot of that stuff. Having yeah. a salad can be really healthy for you. Having a hundred salads a day <laughs> is destructive. Well, it would be pretty time consuming too. <laughs> right, right. It would just be great eating that all much. day. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a great analogy. Yeah, avoid the uh, the brain junk food. That's that's what's gonna help yeah. help yeah, Emily well, here a lot. Yeah, and I don't want to like make it you wrong if that's what you're reaching for. Like, because sure. I've reached for I still reach for yeah, junk we food. indulge a little love, bit. Love yeah. junk food, but <laughs> like you know to as a tasty treat but not like right. as a main course or anything like that yeah um so yeah not making ourselves bad and beating ourselves up if that's what we're doing yeah 
Idoya has a question for us. How do I identify and address unconscious thoughts and fears that stop me from decluttering? So mm. what would be the fears? What, would, what kind of fears would stop someone from simplifying? Yeah. Um, well, there's a lot, yeah. as I'm sure you know. Uh, one is just stopping them from actually looking at the like piles of stuff or like all the, you know, debt or all the things. For me, that's like a turning away from. It's like, oh, th that's scary or that overwhelms me. And so I want to turn away from that. Pretend mm. it's not there. Yeah, mm. <laughs> exactly. I used to stuff my bills that I couldn't pay into a drawer and just pretend like, okay, I'll deal with that later. Oh, wow. and, just not, and then just like piles up and it didn't make anything better because wow. I wasn't actually dealing with it. Yeah. Right. Wow. So of I think course. that's one mm -hmm. big fear. And then another one is like, if I let go of this, something bad's going to happen. I'll, uh, or it will mean something bad about me. Mm -hmm. Right. Like if I let go of all of these books, like that's going to mean, um, I don't, I'm not a reader or like I lose some identity. So mm -hmm. I think that's one, or I'm not going to be okay. I think security is another big one. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you guys can think of 10 more. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the, the fear quite often is, uh, uh, with me especially was identity. I had so much yeah. wrapped up into my achievements and success and in our culture, success is often measured by the trinkets we amass. Mm. And, and so the average American household has 300,000 items in it. And, and wow. if I have more than that, then I must be more successful than the <laughs> average person, right? Yeah. Sure. If the average car it costs $30,000, well, then I need a $60,000 car to be twice as successful as the average right. person. <laughs> Not just the number, but like how expensive that thing is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so there's a certain measuring uh, that's going on. Yeah. And, and that measuring seems useful in the moment because mm. it's quantifiable. And we all, mm. uh, the analytical side wants to, to be able to say, here is what success is. And unfortunately for me, I was living someone else's idea of mm -hmm. success yeah. and, and that I didn't feel successful. I felt scared, overwhelmed, stressed, uh, not secure. All that job security I had, I felt like it could go away like that. Yeah. And then thus the lifestyle to which I was tethered could also disappear. By the way, I didn't think that, well, the lifestyle to which I'm tethered is making me miserable and that might actually be a good thing to let go of this right now. <laughs> no, I was like, but uh, uh, I'll lose all my success, right? Right. And, and so identity, people will often ask, like, what's the hardest thing to get rid of? And I wish I had a sexy answer, like, oh, that big screen TV or say, no, like the hardest thing to let go of is almost always your identity. Yeah. What do you think the things mean to you? Yeah. Yeah, getting getting to the root of why is going to help. The other thing that comes to mind is just doing little stoical experiments. I mean, if it's uncomfortable for you to not watch that TV, then turn the TV off for a day or two and mm -hmm. see what happens and see what comes up. That will help you get to the why. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a million reasons to not declutter, um, but uh, you have to start trying something different to even begin down that path. Yeah, one one uh, like practical tip. I always find it, you said experiments. I think it's really good. It's like if if you're really afraid of doing like this big thing, try like the smallest version yeah, of that. Yeah. So like, can I get rid of like one thing instead of all fifty? You know. Yes. Um, and so yeah, just little things like that really help because it teaches you like, oh, that actually 
didn't ruin my life, right? Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't the end of the world. Maybe I could try a few more. And then just kind of like easing into it can really help. It, it helps you to develop trust. No, you taught me that. And I remember uh, right yes. after my mom died, my marriage ended. Um, I, you know, I was surrounded by all this stuff. And the qu- losing identity. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I, I started, and by the way, when you lose that, then you start clinging even more to the stuff. This yep. is the, what I have left basically. Yep. Yeah. It's not, but that's what you think it is. Of course. And so I st- asked the question about the one thing because I was overwhelmed. And, and the question I, I end up asking is what if I get rid of one thing a day for 30 days? What would happen? Just one item. Yeah. And the truth is that I got rid of way more than 30 items <laughs> in, in 30 days because once you get momentum, letting go gets sort of, easier by the day it, right. it's it feels impossible at first uh ryan and i came up with something called the 30-day minimalism game after that where yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a more sort of it, it, it's it's that approach but it ramps up so one item on the first day two items on the second day three items on the yeah, third yeah i remember that yeah and mm-hmm. so um we've had tens of thousands of people play this game now because th- it, it's an entry point yeah. And it's like, well, anyone can get rid of one thing, right? Right. And then the next day, it's just slightly harder, two things, three. But by the middle of the month, it's like, okay, it's the 16th. <laughs> I have to get rid of 16 things. Oh, and tomorrow, I have to get rid of 17 things? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, can I can I point out a few things about that game that really work? Because she talks about fear, right? And we all have fear. And so I mentioned like small little steps that are like experiments and develop trust. But that game also brings fun into it. So if you – so fear – is like ah oh, like this but if you bring play into mm-hmm. fear it actually loosens it up and mm. turns it into something different yeah. so fear can be in the middle of you know roller coasters and stuff like that but it's not like the only thing right so that we yeah. bring some and the other thing is like what would it be like to get rid of thir- you know, a thing a day or you know follow this path it's a question which brings us curiosity because fear is like, I think things are going to be this bad. And it's a fixed idea of what the future might be. Right. It's like, this is how, this is the disaster that life's going to turn out to be, right? Right. Uh, we have this disaster story in our heads, but it's like this one idea. But what would it be like opens us up to a lot of possibility? Like, oh, I don't know what it would be like. It could be that. It could mm-hmm. also be a thousand other things, right? Yeah. Mm. Um, and then the other last thing that I love about that game is that it brings challenge into our life. Mm-hmm. We yeah. often will respond really well to challenge and do things that we're afraid of when we challenge ourselves or someone else challenges us. Yeah, especially mm-hmm. in, when you're doing it with someone else, you sort of have an accountability partner. When you yep. started Zen Habits, it was almost like you were creating your own uh, exactly. accountability that partner. That was the there. main reason I started it. Yeah, <laughs> and, and by the way, and, and then creating millions of accountability partners exactly. because when you put it out in the world that now you feel more compelled like well shit i did tell everyone i was gonna do this i guess <laughs> i guess i should continue to do it yeah right? yeah yeah so holding yourself accountable that's good we got one more question here from right. mike what steps do you take to block out the noise to stay focused well let, let's hmm. talk mindfulness mm-hmm. here i mean yeah. i think that's 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 going to be part of the answer at least right yeah well so for me it's like Okay, so let's say I was going to write an article for Zen Habits, right? Yeah. There's a lot of noise and a lot of emails. And I'll notice myself like running to all of those things instead of doing the hard thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Especially working from home. It's like, I should do the dishes. I got to do the laundry. (laughs) It's like, as as soon as I get these 15 items done. Yeah, yeah. Then, then I'll write do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So just noticing that. So that's that's a mindfulness practice. Just noticing, oh, I'm running to all these things. Amazon, Netflix, all of you know, YouTube, all of the things, mm-hmm. uh, social media. 
And so just noticing that, and it really helps if you have like a line in the sand, like, oh, I'm going to write from 9 to 10 a.m. or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, it's 9, 10, and I'm not writing, right? <laughs> uh, so it's like, oh, what am I doing? So it's bringing awareness to your patterns. I think that's one big one. And then if you actually are able to carve out that time and say, okay, I'm going to clear out all the noise, all the distractions, and just do this, or just read, or just do something, um, and then it's just like watching yourself wanting to run or uh, wash the dishes really quick, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, oh, I need to clean the kitchen. And it's really just a fear or of uncertainty mm -hmm. in that place. It's like, oh, I need to go and check the news real quick because I'm feeling uncertainty about doing this thing. And mm -hmm. can I do it? And will it be okay? Um, and will I succeed or fail? And then if I go here, it, it feels doable. Like email feels so doable or responding to messages or checking my Twitter. Um, so those all feel easy and doable. They all f also give you more uncertainty, which mm -hmm. is kind of ironic. Yeah. Like I'm going to avoid uncertainty over here by giving me more uncertainty over here and then making me feel terrible about not doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just watching ourselves. This is not making any of that wrong, but just like, oh, that's... That's what's going on. Mm -hmm. And can I just mindfully be with the uncertainty in my body, give it some compassion, and just kind of like breathe and just like, okay, I don't need to run. I can just be with this thing that feels uncertain. And then also the last thing I would say is like, how are you relating to this thing that's giving you uncertainty? Like the writing the thing or reading. It's like, oh, I'm relating to this as burden or, you know, some of the stuff we talked about. That's why I want to run from it. Or I'm relating to this as like a potential failure. This is going to mean I suck, right? Or as opposed to this could be an exploration. This could be learning, you know, opportunity, growth. Yeah. Yeah, I... Uh I recently stopped looking at the news. So like for me, I had to cut out, I had to like make a firm rule, like, hey, stop looking at the news, mainly because I just got into the vicious cycle of like one website to another website, you know, because I was doing my due diligence to get all the points of view. Well, really, oh, nice. yeah, but, but still though, I mean the whole, and the same thing with social media, the goal is to aggregate as many eyeballs as possible uh -huh. and to take as much time away as possible. So for me to identify like, okay, uh, I need to avoid the news because I get caught in that cycle and then really practice. And plus, like, I hated the way it made me feel because, you know, everything's an emergency. Everything's breaking news. So I really had to uh, dig deep in the in the sense that I had to realize how negatively it was impacting my life yeah. to have enough leverage to actually stop going to those news sites. But, you know, now it's like Instagram is now my new. It's your new thing. That's my new thing where it's like I get on like I, I cannot hit the the reels that they have now. Mm -hmm. It's like it'll suck me in because it's like snowboarding and goofy videos and cats. So and, good at it. Uh, oh my goodness! Yeah. So yeah, I mean, setting up boundaries for the uh, specifically the entertainment that we take in, mm -hmm. like that is really going to help cut out a lot of the noise. Yeah, I used to have a yeah. ton of magazine subscriptions, <laughs> and I, I canceled them because. I was trying to save some money and trying to pay off debt. Uh -huh. But then I realized, I was like, oh, like I'm not always wanting that new watch or that like new oh, Lexus that they're advertising. The yeah, once I get rid of the magazines, I was like, I had you know, just subconsciously, those ads were sinking in and creating desires that, um, that, that were useless. But by getting rid of the magazines, those, I started to notice desires going away. So what are you bringing into your life that is creating those desires? And is there a way for you to kind of you know, cut those out? Yeah. That's so powerful. Yeah, it's amazing how good ad companies and social media are like creating desires or creating like attachment. Yeah. Um, they're, it's a billion dollar, billions of dollars of business, right? So yeah. they yeah. they have to get good at it. Yeah. They yeah. have, I mean, they, they, 
employ a lot of really good demographers and statisticians and yeah, psychologists. Exactly. And their main goal is to extract that money from your checking account. Yeah. Or your attention, which is also yeah. the same thing. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so, which I would say is more valuable right, well, than the by, money. By, <laughs> by the way, ultimately, to get your attention, what do they want you to do? They want you to buy more stuff. Watch and, an yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, what they want, the reason they want your attention is so they can feed you even more ads. Mm. And, and, you know, the average American, depending on where you live, sees between 3,000 to 10,000 advertisements a day. That's a mm. stat from Forbes. And your numbers they just knock me over (laughs) well i i when i when i see that it it makes me realize like i don't even see it yeah in fact Uh, my daughter sees she's seven and we live somewhere where you can see billboards from our apartment building and like she'll point one out to me what is that guy doing and 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 all of a sudden it's like wow i've that billboard's probably been there for two weeks, and I haven't. I've, I've I've been tuning out, but I've been seeing it every day. Yeah. And, and what is it actually doing? Yeah. To what's going on up here? And mm. and by the way, there are cities who have uh, states. There are four states in the United States who, that have outlawed billboards altogether. Uh, what is I love it? That. Alaska, for, Vermont. Oh, Alaska didn't. Yeah, yeah, there's a couple it's others. It's like a public cleanup of public spaces, yeah. right? It is. And, and, and so, I mean, remember Ryan and I were on tour. We did this tour in 2017. Um, and we were driving through Vermont. It was so calm. I didn't know why. And then we got to Massachusetts. And all of a sudden, it was like, oh, that's why. <laughs> billboards, yeah. All these billboards. Uh, it and makes it so stark. It, it does. Yeah. It's, it, 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 you, uh, it's, like it's Blade Runner-esque. But like it's, it's a dystopian present, not a dystopian mm. future. Right? <laughs> Leo Babauta, I want to thank you so much for being here today, brother. Yeah. Oh, man. This has been fun. Really, I wish I could have two more hours with you guys. Uh, Well, you're welcome back anytime. You have the open invitation. I'll take you up on that. Seriously, you have the open invitation, whatever you want. Uh, We're going to send folks to zenhabits.net. Is there anywhere else we should send folks? That's that's the main place. Uh, You'll find some of my other stuff there. The, the thing I'm really excited about these days is my uncertainty training. So the place where I'm doing that the most is fearless training. Okay. And you'll find that at the bottom of the, the website. Beautiful. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. Appreciate you, man. Love yeah. you. Yeah. Love you guys. Thank, Thank you, Leo. You guys yeah. are amazing. All right, y'all. Love people. Use things. We'll see you next time. Thank you, patrons. The Minimalists. <laughs>